0: Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We're gonna be looking at quite a bit of scripture today, but my golden text for the new series is uh, Matthew 16 with a nod to Matthew 18. I'm starting a series today called The Gates of Hell. That's a little provocative, I understand. But as we get into it, you'll understand how appropriate it is for just the time we are in. And in fact, the title of this morning's message is, For Such a Time as This. Hallelujah. Please um, listen to this teaching series as just that a series because you can take i'm I'm going to try to work it to where you can take any one message out of it and it'll it'll be it'll be beneficial and you'll be able to get your 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 teeth into it or you know your mind around it etc but today I'm going to be laying some foundational things that are very very important because over the next few weeks if You take some of the things that I'm going to say, particularly about government, particularly about uh, cultural things, particularly about um, some of the things we're seeing in our society, some of the lawlessness that is not only approved, but is promoted by the government in our society today. If you do not understand this basis, it will be it will seem unnecessarily provocative. But we can't, you know, so many in the church today are running away from the Scripture, are running away from God, running away from the truth, and that is a fool's errand. We cannot water it down and expect the power to manifest because, you know, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. And somebody might say, well, the gospel is just that Jesus saves. Well, no, no. Uh, you know, Paul even said, talked about behaviors and said that these are contrary to the gospel. So as we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I will keep this, do my best to keep this biblical. It is imperative that we understand what is happening around us and know that it has a spiritual foundation, a spiritual base. It's, you know, either darkness or light. And that there is a spiritual source to the, the, to the negative things we see happening. And We need to respond to it, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And there's a lot to unpack. And so, Father, as we move into this, our heart's desire is for you to be glorified. And that, Father, you open our hearts and our minds. You give us that spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. That, Lord, we may accurately navigate everything before us today And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, everybody said, amen. Amen. It was prophesied over this congregation, and I am not saying we're the only one by any stretch of the imagination, many years ago that God was raising up this body to be a forerunner. Now, I thought that was pretty exciting at the time, but I didn't realize what that would entail, like a thinning of the ranks when Gene came on... In March of two thousand eight, and got up and preached about the thinning of the ranks and how God was going to be thinning the ranks. I thought, "Oh, that's nice." Until it started happening, and we've seen that not just here, but in in, and in many, many churches. And over in let me let me let me read this scripture to you: Matthew chapter sixteen, verses thirteen through nineteen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is Bashan, which is the very area that the rabbis believed that the rebellion of the, of the Elohim, the angels who rebelled against God, that had happened right there and that they were thrown to earth there. And he was asking his disciples, How, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, and they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? That's the most important question any human being will ever answer. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter never one to be uh, silent when he had an opportunity to talk, spoke up and said, "You are the Messiah, the son of the living God." And Jesus said to them him, "Blessed are you, Simon bar Yonah, Simon son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven." So in other words, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of the living God is something only the Holy Spirit can do. It's not an intellectual thing. It is a spiritual thing. I also say to you that you are pebble, and a, which is what Peter means, the little rock, Cephas, uh, and upon this boulder, this huge rock, the revelation of Jesus as, as Lord, I will build my church and the gates of hell... Well, not, because he says, it says in the New American Standard, Hades, Hades, he would have said Sheol, but it's hell. You know, that's, that, that was their understanding of hell. Will not overpower it. Everybody say, the gates of hell, gates of hell. shall not overpower it. Not overpower. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, that sounds pretty pretty narrow that Peter was going to be the one. But when we go over to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 18, it says, truly I say to you, and in the Greek that's plural. So I will translate it this way. Surely I say to y'all. Did you know Jesus was from Southern Palestine? I say to y'all, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Okay, I'll turn it off now. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, that gives us a sense of it. Two of you agree on anything, uh, on earth about anything, they agree, may agree to ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my, together in my name, and by the way, within the context, that's the meeting of the church. That's not a Bible study. That's not a prayer clash. It's not a coffee you know, there's nothing wrong with those things, but he, here there is a special presence He promises when we come together as a body to worship. Yeah. I am there in their midst. Amen. Now, the Lord spoke supernaturally to this congregation in 2019. By word of wisdom, He showed us, and I wrote the, 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 the word up there so that, that we were entering a period of acceleration. He said that the world around us was, a, was about to change and it would seem like it happened overnight. And of course, six months later, with the COVID lockdowns, et cetera, that, exa- that exact thing happened. Since that time, we have seen a rise of darkness, oppression, lies, and tyranny. My God, look at Canada And they are rising everywhere, not just, we've seen it try here in the United States to some successful, as everybody adopts the Chinese communist way of doing business. If one did not know the character of what was happening, it would seem as though evil has the upper hand. I assure you and have continued to assure you, it does not. Like the lunatic boy at the base of the the Mount of Transfiguration, he went into his fit, his grand mal seizure, and when Jesus cast that thing out of him, everybody looked at him and said, he's dead. But he wasn't. I am believing for before the church goes home to be with Jesus, whenever that is within the overall scheme of things, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, You can be like me. I'm a pan-tripper. I believe it'll all pan out in the end. That's a good, safe position. Uh, We we know that our God wins. I'm going to see a victory. We're seeing long-entrenched evil. In spite of the the forces that are in charge, new revelations of skullduggery, wrongdoing, and corruption are daily being exposed. Mechanisms and structures and peoples, sleeper cells of evil, if you want to call them that, corruption, embedded by darkness in our government, in our culture, in our society, and in some cases for decades, are being uncovered. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, who found himself in a position he never, in which he never expected to be, in jail, In prison. Why? He spoke truth to power. He told the government, You're wrong, and it landed him in prison. He didn't expect to be there. John was a human being just like you and me. And he had lived in the wilderness, and then the Lord called him out of the wilderness, and great crowds were coming to see him. And this is before the internet, before CDs, before jump drives, before you know, radio and television broadcasts and all that. And people were going out to him in throngs. In fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees went out. They were doing it because it was, they wanted to be one of the cool kids. And he looked at them and said, you bunch of snakes. He was a man of great tact. You know, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, we'll accept you, you know, because we're seeker friendly, even though we know you are hypocrites and you really don't have any intention of changing. You're doing this to stay in the popular view of the people. But he sent uh, disciples to Jesus and said, are you the coming one or should we look for someone else? Now, that is a a, a man who had been told even from from, from when he was a toddler that All of the things that God had said about him. And then when he baptized Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he said, I have need to be baptized by you. And the Lord said, Suffer to be so, that we may fulfill all righteousness. And so he baptized him. So he suffered him, it says in the King James. And when Jesus came up out of the water and was stepping up onto the bank, John and Jesus both saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in bodily form, like a dove. Doesn't say the Holy Spirit is a dove like a dove and he even bore witness of him and John the apostle was one of John the Baptist's disciples and John heard this with his own ear in fact at one point he even said to John and Andrew behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and so they quit following John and started following him started following Jesus and yet we can enter Conditions when things get rough, we can go and we find ourselves in places we never thought we would be, and we encounter circumstances where I heard one guy say that we get knocked for a loop in our feet or where our head was just a few minutes earlier, and we don 't know how long John ministered. some people say it was as short as uh, six months, others say it might have been eighteen. We do not know how long he was in prison, but he was sit- he 's rotting there, wondering what is What's going on? And he sends to Jesus, did I miss it? So in other words, if you ever get to the place where things are so hot and so heavy that you wonder if you'd missed it, you are in excellent company. And what did Jesus do? He sent John the Baptist. Now, I want you to think about this situation because we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. We've got a lot to unpack here today. I'll try to have you out by one. Okay, turn to somebody and say, he he is kidding, right? No. (laughs) John the Baptist came at a time when the spiritual climate in Judea was continuing to degenerate and decline dramatically. The political climate, there there were acts of terrorism, there were attacks. All the kind of things we're seeing today were happening then because the zealots were attacking Roman soldiers wherever they could catch a bunch of them out. You know, they would attack and sometimes slaughter them. Then uh, the Roman governors would respond in kind by murdering Jewish people. In fact, uh, Pontius Pilate even sent a group of uh, of his legionnaires in amongst a group of of uh, worshipers in the temple area with daggers, and they slayed a whole bunch of innocent people who were there. It's, it's, it's recorded for us when they, they tell, you know, when they ask Jesus about it, they tell, uh, you know, worshipers, Galileans, who Pilate had mixed their blood with their sacrifices. I mean, things, things were just, things were ugly. And in the middle of this, John the Baptist comes preaching in the wilderness saying, repent. You don't hear that in a lot of churches today. Repent's become a dirty word. Don't tell people to repent. They don't need to repent. Jesus did it all. Somebody needs to tell the Apostle Paul that because he told them they needed to repent. The Corinthians. It was a time of great turmoil and Jesus says some things that we're going to come back and talk about in a minute, but As they're going away, he says of John the Baptist, he says, of all the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Well, why didn't he say that while they were in earshot? Because he gave them scripture to go give John rather than bragging on him. And so that tells me that if I am someone God considers mature and I'm in a pickle and I am struggling, that when he speaks to me, I will expect him to give me scripture and not come down and brag on me even though he may be bragging on me to somebody else. And he said in the NIV, the 84 version, Matthew 11 and 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I know in every other version it says suffers violence, but that does not fit the context. Back in 1994, the translators in the NIV had the chutzpah and the courage to do the right thing because you go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, demons come out, the dead are raised. That is the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing. And when it goes on to say, and forceful men lay hold of it, yes, whenever God's doing something, somebody's going to try to turn it, take it and turn it and merchandise it. That's just the way people are. And though the climates were degenerating and injustice was rampant, both in Rome and under the hands of the Romans and their very own Senate, the Sanhedrin, Jesus and John's appearances were the beginning, and the kingdom of heaven was at last breaking cover. Some people think that God when it comes to revival, when it comes to harvest and things like that, that God just sovereignly does stuff without human involvement. I'm not saying God couldn't do that, because he certainly could, but from everything I read in the Bible, he has chosen deliberately to work through his people. In the Old Testament, he worked through Abraham and his offspring, Israel. Israel. Has anybody besides me noticed that Israel was a mess? In the New Testament, he has chosen to work through the body of Christ, that is, the church with a capital C. And what a mess the current church is. And yet, he still manages to get his will done through his remnant. Amen. God announces... He heralds, he broadcasts what he is about to do or doing it and or already doing, and he does it through his people. John the Baptist was a forerunner. he was the one of the voice of the one crying in the spiritual wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. What was he preaching? Repentance, Change your mind. Turn your heart. Get your mind, get your heart, get your focus off of yourself. Get it off of all, the thi- all, this, all this self-centered, egocentric, um, which is saying the same thing in two different ways. Pleasure-seeking, self-fulfilling stuff and seek the Lord of heaven for whom we were made. In Luke chapter 1, Verses 16 and 17. And he, meaning John the Baptist, will turn many of the sons of Israel back to Yahweh their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart's of the fathers back to the children. I I don't know why it just popped into my head, but I want you to understand. One of the things that Elijah could do was call fire down from heaven. And I see in in the revelation the two witnesses who are able to call fire down from heaven. And some people think those two witnesses are two literal people. I submit to you that they are representative of the two branches of the church, the Gentile church and the Jewish church. And that it's not two people It's millions of people. That sounds more like my God. Moving along. He's saying, get ser- what was John saying? Get serious about serving God. Get in, press in, cry out to him. And those who accepted his declaration and believed him and were baptized with that baptism of repentance were ready. Their hearts were ready for Jesus when he came. Those who rejected his, his word were not. In fact, in Luke chapter 7 and... 29 and 30, it says this, And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, Jesus' acclamation of John, acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. The government on balance, not all, there were righteous men in the Sanhedrin, I can name you two, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And that's why when you read, and you read how that, you know, we have insight in the Gospels of the, and in the book of Acts about the conversations that took place among the Sanhedrin, it's because there were believers in the Sanhedrin. And the religious elite, the financial elite, the governing elite, all rejected the ministry of John, and they all rejected the ministry of Jesus. If you're not ready to repent, you are not ready for God. Are you hearing me? That rejection by the elites, by the government, by the financial system, by the education system of the day did not stop God from moving, but it did bring judgment on those who refuse to believe. That is my introduction. Strap in. John the Baptist was a forerunner likened to Eliahu, like to, to Elijah, who dwelt in wilderness places. In fact, in Luke 1 and 80, turn to your neighbor and say, forerunner. forerunner. Oh, man, I tell you what. If I, you know, I was talking with a good friend of mine the other day over breakfast, and we were. He's, he is a does not go to church here, but I mean, he's a, he's a Baptist brother, but man, I'm telling you, he loves Jesus with all of his heart and, is a, and has a sterling reputation throughout the entire uh, community. And, you know, we were both talking about how things had not gone the way we had thought they would, and we were neither one of us where we thought we would be. And I just told him, I said, you know, if the Lord had told me that at 67 years of age, I'd be in the place I am now, I'd have probably just cut my wrists and been done with it. He started laughing. He said, uh, he said, "I, I know how you feel. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm right where I belong, doing right exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, I would have it any other way. But I am, I am submitted to his will. I learned about submission when I joined the the Mean Green Machine. That is the United States Army. And they taught me things about submission that I never knew before. And how I would either submit or they would put me in a cage. You know, and then run me off. But in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80, the, the child, meaning John the Baptist, continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts wilderness places until the day of his appearance to Israel. We don't know much about John's background. There is a lot of tradition that says that he was trained by the Essenes who lived in Qumran, not too far from there, and that, you know, they were a very, very, very strict uh, uh, sect of of Judaism, Uh, so strict that they thought that everybody else was an apostate And that he was trained by them. But we don't know that. And then it says in Luke chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, in the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came in, where was he? In the wilderness, in the deserts. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right? And I could preach on that for a while, but won't. Uh, The wilderness, either spiritual or literal or both, is a theme in Scripture for training, for preparation, for building endurance, spiritual stamina, longevity, and... I'm going to write this on the board. I hadn't planned to, but, you know, Carl was, I told Carl we were going to do some board work, and I told him where, and this isn't it. (laughs) Everybody's favorite thing testing. Yes, God does test. Let me say that again so that more than three of you can say amen. God does test. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested and tempted of the devil prior to him entering the ministry. And the apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 1, 15 through 8, the first part of 18, but when God had set me apart from my mother's womb, who had set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers say that Paul went out into the wilderness of Arabia for three years. That does not say that. It says he went away to Arabia... We do not know how long he was there. Not only that, we don't even know where, for where exactly he was, because you know, if you're using Hadrian's description, you know, map of the world, or someone else's, uh, Arabia has you know kind of moves around, and in fact, in one uh, Roman understanding of it, Damascus was at the edge of Arabia, but this indicates that he went away and was out by himself in. Some sort of a desolate place for a while before coming back to Damascus. And then three years after that, he went up to Jerusalem to present his gospel to those who were in the Lord before him and submitted it to them. And they gave him, as he said, the right hand of fellowship. Jesus would frequently go into the wilderness to pray. It, why would we do that? To get away from the noise. Boy, do we have noise in our culture today. We carry noise boxes with us wherever we go. Sometimes we put noise in our ear, Bluetooth noise, Bluetooth-powered noise, where we can listen to 75 million different kinds of noise off of Apple Music or whatever. And I'm telling you, in the days to come, there we will have to cultivate, if we haven't already, the ability in our lives to sit still, be still, be quiet, and not have to be reading something off of a computer screen or listening to something when we pray, but training our spirits to be and our minds to be quiet and listen to the Lord. Forerunners go through a wilderness. If God's going to use you, you're going to train. If God's going to use you, he'll put you through some things, yes, and I said that, that were not pleasant, they're not fun, and they will challenge your faith. And that's where we've been for the last, really, 15 years, since 2008, in a very real sense. Because there are Forerunners are lights that are those who attract the people around them. That, you know, we are to be, we're called to be the light of the world, cities set on a hill. So we've got to be trained. We've got to be strengthened. We've got to be reinforced. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, he says, "...to this end I wrote, so that I might put you to the test." Okay, who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul, yes. Who anointed Paul to write it? The Holy Spirit wrote 2 Corinthians, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. In fact, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 10, let them, talking about deacons, uh, servants of the church, also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So many people want some truly impactive and truly powerful ministry, but they're not willing to serve and be faithful at a much, much lower level. And God grows us like trees. We start off first as a little sprig and then a little little seedling, a little sapling, and it grows up. And then we get bigger and we get stronger. And then we begin to bear fruit. And it takes time. That's one of the things I said to my friend as we were having breakfast is there have been times I've just looked around and go, Lord, that's what a mess. You know, just, you know, I'll, I'll drop my packet in the military. That is, that is code for retire. I'm dropping my packet and I've tried to drop my packet and the heavenly Pentagon sent back a denial And I said, it's almost as if God said, it's taken me 40 years or better to finally get you to where I can use you, and now you want to (laughs) quit? How many of you can identify with that? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and actually going into 4, says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How many of you do that? How many of you can remember having done it at least once of all the times? Consider it all joy, my brethren. What's he smoking? My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the, what? Testing of your faith produces endurance. The word could also be translated long-suffering or perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. That's a little... That doesn't quite... He's saying so that you can be mature, spiritually mature, and fully equipped, lacking nothing. Romans 5, 3 and 4 from the New Living Translation. We We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. There's that word again. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Confidence. Remember that the Greek word hope doesn't mean like airy, fairies, pie in sky and sweet, bye-bye, hope, hope, hope. No, it means I am confident in God. Endurance in both passages, as I pointed out a moment ago, can be translated perseverance with great accuracy. But we have watched in the last, again, 20 years ago, this coming September, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and what to me was an audible voice. Now, I've had that experience on, I can count the number of times in 40 seven years that the, of being filled with the Spirit that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me that strongly on the fingers of one hand. Unlike some YouTube prophets, I don't get those things every day or even every week or every month or every year. But he said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. And we have watched since then as the pressures of the world, the pressures of their personal desires and goals have caused them to fade away from following Jesus perfectly or wholly. In Mark chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, this is the parable of the sower and the soils. And he describes the third group, and others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world. They get so caught up in the things that are happening that they're fearful to step out and do the word of God for whatever reason and the deceitfulness of riches money will lie to you amen and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful there's a real problem right there in the North American church and the church much of the North American church has accommodated that saying oh you know, God just wants you to be so blessed and so prosperous and so happy and everything's just going to be good and he doesn't really require anything of you and it's a it's a painless thing. No, it's not. Jesus talked about t- taking up our cross and following him. And John the Baptist is an illustration of somebody who was prepared and because he faced a lot of opposition, And as the men, coming back to Matthew chapter 11, when the disciples had come, of John the Baptist had come, and he sent them away, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7 says this. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man, see, a man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one of who, about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That is a description of a forerunner. So trained. What is a reed shaken by the wind? John was not preaching whatever was popular, whatever was was fabulous, whatever got him a big audience, whatever caused the offerings to swell. Reed shaken by every wind of doctrine. He stood up to cultural pressure. Soft clothing. King's palaces. Herod was famous for putting on the dog. He was the Lee Liberace of his day, and some of you know who that is. In fact, when we read about his his address down, you know, at Tyre and Sidon in, in the Book of Acts, he it says he put on his royal apparel, which, according to Josephus, was a tunic and a, an outfit that had. Actual silver threads in it had to be heavy, you know, that would glisten and pop like sequins in the sun when he would walk in it. And the Herodians, those Jews who joined themselves to Herod and became government sellouts... were the ones concerning whom Jesus was speaking. He even said, beware the the leaven of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of Herod. John the Baptist was not afraid to tell the truth. And he had lived out in the deserts. He had grown up in a rather austere environment. He grew up in an austere environment. We've been dealing with a spiritually austere environment for quite a while and wondering why? Why, why us? I mean, why can't we go over to this place and hear all about how, you know, just sit around and, 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 and drink our beer and rub our belly and talk about the goodness of God? Which is what they do in Germany. <laughs> I've seen it. Pastors. And I'm not making a comment on that so much. But the Lord warned us 19 years ago, as I said. A lady in our church... This is the place, Carl. A lady in our church had a dream when I told her about what I had seen that I think bears um, repeating and an illustration here. How many of you grew up going to um, playgrounds that had a merry-go-round? Remember the merry go round? I don't know if they put those out anymore because they're probably scared to death some kid's gonna bust out a tooth and the city's gonna get sued. You know, we would get on those things and get them going so fast that, I mean, it was, you know, all you could do to. In fact, a lot of times we couldn't hang on, you know, and it'd bing, you know, throw you off. And so she had this dream where the whole universe was a merry go round like that. And Jesus was right here in the center. And it was starting to spin faster and faster and faster and faster. And she was like, here, you know, here's my little stick figure. And the farther you are, how many of you have ever played on one of these? The farther you are away from the center and the faster it spins, the greater, it's not actually a force, it's called centrifugal, some people say centrifugal force, seems to be pushing you off, heavier and heavier and heavier. What's actually happening, if you're a physics buff, is that you're on this curve, and it takes strength to hang on, to stay in the curve, because the force wants to throw you off. Your body wants to go in a straight line. Whereas the merry-go-round wants to take you in a circle. And in her dream, she said she could feel the tug. It was me. And he said to her, get closer to me. Get closer to me. Get closer to me. Because the closer we are to Jesus, the easier it is to hang on. The closer, in fact, if you're in the very center, you may not even feel a lot of the, you'll be under the centripetal force rather than the centrifugal force. And, 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 and here we are spinning faster and faster and faster. War in Europe, Chinese looking at Taiwan, licking their lips. And believe me, you think we got semiconductor problems now? Wait till that happens. I read the other day about you know Ford Motor Company having acres of F 150s and acres of of Broncos that they can't that that are just sitting there waiting for chips. They're waiting for a conductor chip. They got the same thing at GM? Yeah, same exact thing at GM. And where are those coming from? TSMC over in Taiwan. They produce 80% of the semiconductors for the world. How do we get ourselves in a position like this? Because we're stupid. And we've been chasing the almighty dollar. This acceleration is underway and it continues. The hyper-grace movement, away from holiness, away from righteousness, away from uprightness, away from being doers of the Word, has led to a culture that is biblically illiterate. I spoke to uh, a friend of mine who is a professor at Oral Roberts University, my alma mater, two-time alma mater, the other day, because I was doing some stuff for World Ministry Fellowship, and I was asking James about this, and he told me something that flabbergasted me. He said, we have... 29 people in our new D-Men program. I said, well, that's awesome. He said, we've got 19 women and 10 men. I said, that's great. And he said, not one American. I said, what? He said, they're all foreign students. No Americans applied this year. What does that tell us? That the center of committed Christianity has apparently moved offshore, just like the, prediction, the production of semiconductors. Saints, these things ought not to be so. Amen. Casual, one of, about, one of the things about our circle up here, our, our rotating, our merry go round, which is going faster and faster. And faster is that committed Christianity. Somebody who wants to be what the Bible calls a disciple. What is a disciple? It comes from the Greek word mathetes. Spelling in public is not my favorite thing to do. Means a learner. It means a learner. That we're constantly learning. We're seeking the Lord. We're learning. We're growing in our faith. The Bible isn't we don't go to church once a week, once a month. I told you about the 40, 30, 40, 30 hypothesis by a gentleman who was who 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 writes a pastoral newsletter. He's very well known and accepted in pastoral circles. That said, post COVID, 40% of the people, and this is of the people, and I've heard you've heard me say this before. But of the people who were in church, locked in, committed before COVID, 40% of them have disappeared. No, 30% of them have disappeared entirely into the ether. Poof. Okay. Zoom. Gone. 40% have come back sort of. They're in church once every three weeks to six weeks they're not doing anything in terms of putting their hand to the plow in the ministry, and they're not giving like they used to. 30%, however, are in there, have come back and are pitching. So in other words, you could say that the that this lockdown joy we experienced taught 70% of the church to either not be in church at all or you only need to be partially committed. Many have decided it would be more comfortable. You know, there's I, I'm gonna tell you, I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you're gonna be up here, if we're gonna be here, there's a cross to bear, there is a self to deny, and we've got to follow him and there is a price. And a lot of people have made the decision that they're, oh, I want to be a Christian, but I'll just walk out here close to the, to the rim of the galaxy, so to speak. The problem is that as this thing speeds up, if you're not moving this way, you're moving that way. I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. Does that diagram help? Yes. I think that's, you know, I was thinking about how can I illustrate this and forgive my art or lack thereof. The world around us, if our musicians would come, to use our analogy, is beginning to spin even more, in terms of, in human terms, out of control. God, in the middle of that, will continue to increase his presence and his power in the ones who are his disciples. We have seen governments that we never thought would ever do such a thing. I'm speaking of our Canadian brethren up north, and we're going to talk more about that. It is arguably unlawful to get up now in your pulpit and say that homosexuality is a sin because of their C4 law on conversion therapy. We'll talk about that. There is a price to pay for each of us if we're going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to tell you saints if we're going to stand for God in this day culturally, financially, and many other ways, there is a risk. There is a there is there it will be a blowback. God will triumph ultimately, there's no doubt of that, but the question is am I going to be in the victory parade? When the soldiers come home after a victorious you know, war overseas, and they march down, they have the ticker tape parade and all that kind of stuff. You know, am I going to be in that parade? I've said this before, and I reiterate, there's two kinds of Christians in the days ahead. Combatants, those who are in the fight, and refugees. Because if you're not in the fight, then you're out of it, and you're in trouble. It's as simple as that. I'm telling you straight. We've got to be willing to risk it all. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And I will close with this. You know the story of Esther. It's a beautiful story. I mean, it's a scary story. How that the Jews were going to be put to death because of, come on, and all over the entire kingdom, the decree had gone out from Shushan. And when Mordecai, Esther's uncle, heard of it, um, he Hadassah is actually what her real name was. He tore his clothes and he got a hold of Hadassah. He said, he said, what are you going to do about this? And she said, I don't know. I haven't been summoned into the king's presence in a lengthy period of time. And you know what the rule is. If I go into his presence without being invited, if he doesn't extend the scepter, I will be executed on the spot. And then Mordecai says to her, very interestingly, he says, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther through a... through a a messenger. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Now let me reread that for you. And let me do you the gift, gift do you give you the Kevin standard version. And Mordecai told them to reply to the American church. Do not imagine that you in the USA can escape any more than any other believers anywhere. For if you all remain silent and you just roll over at this time Relief and deliverance will arise for the church from another place, but you will be destroyed. You'll be refugees. And who knows? I know, we were, we have attained royalty. We love to get up and talk about, we are a a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Okay, we're royalty. We have attained royalty, Saint, for just such a time as this you are called you are appointed you are anointed do not think of yourself as a mere foot soldier in a throng that's so big that you can't pick out any one face because god has an individual and a very important mission for each and every one of us would i love to have had a much bigger impact in my life up to this point what are you kidding But what I want to do is stand up before God and be able to say, I did what you called me to do. I was where you wanted me to be, doing what you wanted me to do. I took up my cross. I denied myself. I followed you, Lord. You know that. And I want him to say, Yeah, Kevin, you complained a lot, but you did do it. Amen. Amen. Well done, son. And the eternal reward far exceeds... Oh, yeah, when I see jet fighters doing their thing, I still, oh, there's a twinge. But even if I could go back and change it, I would not because I can can do that in eternity without a plane. You'll be somewhere in heaven one day and all of a sudden something will streak over, leaving a contrail and then it'll go boom like that. And everybody says, what was that? And they say, that was my pastor but I didn't see a plane. He doesn't need one. Not now. I tell that story about I was in the middle of a skydive and it was funneling and it was, oh, I mean, it was terrible. And we were still very high because we got out of the airplane at 15,000 and we were still very high when I decided I'm bugging out and I went into a full track. I was moving 100 and. 10 to 15 miles an hour down. I was probably doing 50 miles an hour this way. And through my helmet, I'm doing like this because that's the way you do a track. I could see the ground moving underneath me quickly. And being the overgrown child that I am, I even said in my helmet, I'm an F-16, I'm an F-16! Before I slammed on the brakes and threw out my parachute. In fact, when I got to the ground, one of the guys said, that was ugly wasn't it I was the first one to get down and he said that was ugly up there wasn't it and I said yeah it was one of my team members and I said how would you know he said because they all opened up there and you opened up way over there I said yeah I was just trying to get away from it I look forward to the day that I can be an F-16 and not be falling he might say that's dumb no that's me and if it's dumb fine I am really looking forward to be able to do some cool stuff. If Jesus can walk through walls, I can break the sound barrier at 10,000 feet and watch contrails forming off of the tips of my fingers. The man of steel, right? Those of you watching by web, I got a little goofy here at the end because God has a sense of humor. He does. We live in... A very, very, a time of real darkness when the forces of darkness have grabbed hold of institutions in this nation and are doing their best to bring our nation and our people to their knees. And I don't mean that in a a positive way. But God, but God, I want to be part of the remnant. This thing is already beginning to turn. It's not going to turn the way some of the people on YouTube are saying it's going to. In fact, I don't think anybody could predict some of the things that are going to happen because God just loves to surprise everyone, us and the enemy. But to be a part of it, you have to belong to him. You have to be part of the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said. And to do that, if you're not a believer, then what you do right now is you just, you just say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus of Nazareth is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. And Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And it does not matter where you've been, what you've done how horrible your life may or may not have been because being good won't get you to heaven either any more than being horrible would be. You will in no wise be cast out. It says he will turn away none who come to him and you will move from death into life and from the kingdom or the dominion rather of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Would you pray that today? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Lord, I want to be in that remnant. Make me a disciple. And speaking of which, believer, if you've got a, got a little cold in the Lord, if you you notice that perhaps you're, you need stirring, I'm here to tell you God's able to do that, but you don't want him to do that. You want to stir yourself. Because if God stirs you, it's going to be a whole lot rougher he uses circumstances and he uses situations we have been going through the last 15 years learning to trust God even when it looked impossible learning to hang on to God even when there were decrees government decrees to the contrary and to know that our God will see us through anything and he makes a way where there seems to be no way but faith does not grow as fast as hair Get in now. Do not wait another moment. Get in church. Get in the scripture. Set aside a prayer time daily. Hook up with believers of like precious faith and see God's will done in your life because the days ahead are great and terrible. Great for those who know him, but they're going to be terrible for those who don't. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone, available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, ICC Family, all one word, iccfamily.org Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.